Hey, we're going to continue our Faith at Work series this morning, moving through the book of James. If you've been watching Gateway Online over the last few weeks, a couple of weeks ago, Jason, our senior pastor, gave a message on words. And uh, I'm, going to, I'm going to give a message that's going to speak to something very similar, but I'm going to speak into the gap that we jumped over when he got to what he wanted to speak about. So if you're here thinking, did Andrew not listen because Jason's already spoken on words, why are we doing this again? I, I promise you, what I've got to say is something really different that... It's out of my heart. It's a very, very practical message today. But before we get there, I just want to encourage a few of us today. I, a little self-reflection in the last week or two. I would say the last 12 months has been the most challenging time for me personally that I've ever had in, in my role, just in leadership. And uh, I don't say that out of self-pity because this is not the year to write in your Christmas letter. I've had a really hard year because of COVID because the reality is all of us, have actually had some real challenges. So I'm not saying that to say that, oh, woe is me. But, but the environment that we've lived and operated in has made things really challenging. I, I said to Chrissy last night that this last couple of months I found much harder to navigate than I did all of 2020 in kind of the, the first wave of this and six weeks of lockdown here in southeast Queensland and all the challenges. There's been something about the last couple of months that for me personally have been much more wearying. And uh, I, I'm talking to a lot of people that are reflecting the same thing. And one of, the, one of the challenges is life has lost a sense of consistency. There's been constant disruptions. You don't feel like you can plan anything with any sense of certainty. I'm talking to people now that postponed things 12 months because they thought, well, 12 months ago we'll be all right by October next year. And here we are. And again, it's like, well, if we give it 12 months, there's this, just this uncertainty that rolls around everything and I think just a little depletion that comes from having to just try and get ahead of the unknown. And I've just found for myself that being really depleting. One of the challenges for me in my role is I love the. I'm glad we're back in the room together today. There's something about this that really helps me um, personally. Just uh, have, a, have a sense of normality and a sense of just things are more aligned when this rhythm is part of what we do. Uh, but some of the things we look to that actually give us a sense of certainty and consistency have disappeared in that as well. I just had a moment in the last little while where I just reflected on the fact that when we look at the history of the Christian church and we look at the history of, of the Bible, that often in disruption is where God does his best work. I go to the book of Acts and the church was powering ahead. Peter preaches a great sermon, 3,000 people in one moment. Uh, you know, decide that they want to follow Jesus. We all dream about that in ministry, that day where you just preach a sermon. It was a nice short sermon, but man, people just came to faith in that moment. People were baptized. It was an incredible day. It's only a few chapters later that it actually tells us that the church suffered severe persecution and was scattered. So those early moments that would have just been awesome to be part of suddenly now get scattered, but it was in the scattering of the church that God actually allowed the message of Jesus go to the ends of the earth. You see, God does his best work sometimes in disruption. Uh, a few months ago, our senior pastor, Jason, was sharing with the staff, and God had just put a picture on his heart that I've reflected back on this week. He said, I, I believe God said to me that it's going to feel as a church this year like we're running into a headwind. Have you ever run into a headwind? Those of you that are runners? You know, it's like you're running the same path, but everything's twice as hard. And some of us are running exactly the same path this year, but everything feels like twice as much effort. Well, I just reckon God wants to say to us, keep going, because there's some life that you're not even seeing. 
God is at work and doing some things that you haven't seen or perceived or been able to measure in the same way that you had before. But God often does his best work in disruption. And I believe that he wants to encourage some of our hearts and our spirits today that in the midst of what feels like running into a headwind right now, God's actually going to bring some of his greatest fruit. You don't believe that? If you just want to receive that little encouragement, I just want to pray for you this morning. And uh, why don't we do that before we jump into the message? Hey, Lord, we don't need to tell you what's going on in our world right now. And and God, we are the least people to complain here in southeast Queensland. We know how blessed we have been. We compare ourselves to many other places and countries. And Lord, the grief and the pain that's been felt over this last 18 months. Lord, we have very little to complain about. But Lord, I know for many of us, this is a very weary season. Lord, that which used to feel easy now feels like it's so much more work so much more effort just to tread the same path. But Lord, I just know that sometimes in the moments where we feel the most spent, when we feel weakest, that is when you shine through greatest. So Lord, I just want to pray this morning that you would just encourage a whole bunch of people across this place, that you just breathe life into their spirit right now, that you would give them hope and energy. God, that even in these moments there are green shoots appearing, that you're at work in ways that we can't perceive. God, I want to pray that out the back of whatever the back of this looks like. Lord, that we as a church may see great fruit from the work of your Holy Spirit in us, through us, and within our community. pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you know that there are 47,156 words that used to be considered part of the English language but are now considered obsolete? I didn't know that words could become obsolete. But apparently if... They're not measured in certain dictionaries. They're classed as obsolete. There's 47,000 of them. Words like gorgonize. Has anyone ever used the word gorgonize in a sentence? To gorgonize is a word that came from the early 17th century that means that something has a mesmerizing effect on someone or something. My sermon today is going to have a gorgonizing effect on all of you. Maybe you've heard of the word twattle. It feels like we should know what twaddle means, right? But apparently twaddle is now an obsolete word in the English language. But twaddle essentially means to gossip. All of us know some twaddlers. I think we should work and campaign to bring that word back into circulation. Come on, Gateway Ormo, let's talk about all the twaddlers that we know. What about the word snout fair? If someone said, you are snout fair, does that sound like a compliment or a sledge? Well, it's actually a compliment that came from the 1500s. If someone was attractive or handsome, you would say that they were snout fair. It's probably no wonder that this word has now disappeared and become obsolete from our language because I think if you walk up to somebody, young people, and you know, you're trying to make a first impression and you say, today you look rather snout fair, someone feel free to try it and come and report the outcome. There's 47,153 other words that are obsolete with these three. But while we lament those that have disappeared, if you look at the second edition of the Oxford Dictionary, there's actually 171,476 words that currently exist as part of the English language according to the Oxford Dictionary. That's a lot of words that we have at our disposal on any one day. Most of us probably don't use anywhere near even 20% of those. But there's a lot of great words in the English language which we can use to communicate, to describe, to encourage to do a whole bunch of things, 171,000 of them. 
Now, studies have been done to try and determine how many words the average human speaks in one day. Now, you could imagine that the sample set was significant. Some people they found used as little as around 800 words a day. Anyone got someone in their family that is a person of very few words? Don't put your hand up. Because they also found that some people use over 45,000 words in one day. Anyone in your family that is like that? We have at least one or two. They're not in the room right now. They're out in kid zone. But over 45,000, what they found was the average person uses around 16,000 words every day. 16,000 of those 171,000 words. That is a lot of words that we fill the air with. Our world is filled with words. And so James, in his practical teaching, wants to talk to us about words. Let me read a passage, and if you've been watching Gateway Online, you would have heard this. But James chapter 3, he says this, Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits in the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, as a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. So with the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. I mean, James says some pretty confronting things in that passage. But I think what he wants to get at is that we speak 16,000 words a day, but it only takes one word to change the course of someone's life. I reckon if James is writing this to the church in 2021, he wouldn't just say one word, he'd say one text, one DM, one snap, one email. You see, we know that words are powerful. And even though our world is filled with words, and our day is filled with words, and our mouth is filled with words, all the young guys are right, because I've renamed snap snappies, right? Just, just get that into vernacular. Send a snappy. Is that appropriate? Half the congregation go, what is he talking about? The young guys know what I'm talking about. But James would say it's only one word in a world filled with words that can change the course of your life. You know, it, it can be one word that damages your marriage. It can be one word that destroys a friendship. It can be one word that removes trust in your workplace. One word can destroy a reputation. One word can be the thing that sets someone on trajectory of having no sense of self-worth. Our words carry incredible power. And in the same way one word can pull down, one word can be the very thing that builds up. Uh, psychology and psychologists have studied the power of words. 
Have you ever thought back on some of the things that were said to you in the schoolyard by your friends? I was thinking about it last night. I can remember very clearly the day playing handball, someone called me liquid paper tooth because I had a little white mark on my tooth. I don't know what it was, a little bit of calcium or something. It hasn't affected the course of my life, but why can I remember that? I've got a whole list of really innocuous things that I can remember that weren't complimentary as I was growing up. There's something in us that has the power to remember that which is negative. I see this in my own life. I see it in those that I work with that you can get a hundred compliments, but you'll hold on to the one thing that someone said that wasn't good or wasn't positive. And psychology's looked at this and they actually think it's because there's a different part of our brain that processes some of the different emotions and there's a different level and depth of processing that comes with that, which is negative. You see, we've got to understand that our words carry power. When I was young in my ministry journey, uh, you would, many of you won't believe this, you've never seen this, but I was involved a little bit in creative ministries. I led worship a lot at Gateway before I ever preached. And I remember years and years ago that our first creative ministries director that I worked on, or that I worked with on our church, I was just an intern 20 years ago, and I remember he decided that I should have a go at leading worship. Now, he walked in and told some of the crew that were involved in creative ministries that I was rostered on to lead worship this particular day, and they didn't realize that I was trailing behind him, and I heard one of them, a fairly influential member of our creative ministries team, say, Andrew Main, Really? Why? I don't remember anything else anyone said in that season, but I can remember that. You see, our words carry immense power. Suddenly I stand on stage and feel like I've got a whole level of other things to prove that I didn't until I heard those words spoken over my life. There's been studies done on the power of praise versus the power of criticism. And they've done studies on uh, well-functioning teams within work environments. And some of the research suggests, and it's, it's always argued and it's up for grabs, but some of the research would suggest that it takes five compliments versus one criticism to actually have a high-functioning team. The more that ratio comes together, when there's equal praise and criticism, actually those teams are less functioning than the teams where there's a greater ratio of praise to criticism. This isn't just in work environments, this is also in marriages they've found. The marriages that are more likely to do well have a higher percentage of praise given than criticism. There should be like five times as much praise given to your spouse as the things that you choose to criticise. The crazy thing is sometimes our mind only thinks to be critical, doesn't it? I've talked about this before. We, we, we have a great experience at a restaurant and we tell everyone else about it but we fail to tell the people, we have a bad experience, our food was slow, our food was cold, or we didn't like the Brussels sprouts and the way they cooked them, we're really happy to get online and tell everyone else about it. There's something that's built in us that loves to react critically. But, but even studies outside of what God wants to say, even studies of psychology tell us that when you fill people's heads with praise, they do better than when you fill it with criticism. And actually the ratio has got to be way more significant than we would ever imagine. In some of the same studies, they've also seen that those that actually are responsible for staff, those that manage staff, often see that they're better leaders when they're more critical. In other words, we actually think, well, if I've been elevated to a role of being responsible for people, it's my role to point out what they're doing wrong. So built into this human sense of 
If I'm in charge of people, if I lead people, the thing that I'm meant to do is tell them what they're doing wrong. Also comes with the sense that history shows that people and teams function better. Marriages function better. People function better when the ratio of praise and criticism is much more significantly weighted towards praise. What am I trying to say? Your words have power. It's no wonder the psalmist writes this in Psalm 141 verse 3. Set a guard over my mouth, Lord, and keep watch over the door of my lips. In other words, put a guard at the front door to everything that comes out of my heart, Lord. Set a guard over there and keep watch over the things that I say. Why? Because our words have power. And this is the bit I want to jump back into, something really practical that I want to talk to us today about, because James addresses a really simple, practical application for words that we missed in the early parts of this series that I want to talk about today. And it comes from James chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. And it's our key text for today. He says this, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Okay, let's... I'm going to do something different. Let's read that together. I want this verse to become one of those things that becomes your go-to verse. Let's do this together. Come on. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. James gives us the most simple piece of wisdom that you can apply to your life, to your marriage, to your friendships, to your workplace when it comes to the words that we use that carry power. And in one simple way of describing his strategy, it's this, slow down. What is it about human nature that feels the need to react? Many of us are reactors. We see something on social media that we don't like. So we don't let the filter kick in, we just start doing these ones. Someone sends us a text that we don't even process before we react. Someone says something to us and our instant reaction is to try and get one up on them by reacting. You see, some of us have learned that, you know, we're not strong with our fists, but we're strong with our words. And if we can get one up on someone with the power of our words, we've won the battle. But James wants to say, I want to talk to you about stopping that reactive spirit. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to learn to slow down. You see, when we slow down, we create a gap that that enables our heart to take time to process the power of our words. I just want to talk about five things today that happens when we learn to go slow and we create a gap. The first is this. When we slow down, we actually see things from a different perspective. The first thing James says is listen. Be quick to listen and slow to speak. You see, listening is a skill that, that, that we're losing within our culture, the capacity to listen, not just to build the argument. When I was at school, I was part of our debating team. And, uh, you know, Dubbo Christian School, grade 10 debating team. And we debated other schools. But one of the skills you learn when you're debating is you listen to the other to find the argument that you can pull apart. And so you listen not with the sense of learning. You listen with the sense of retaliating. You see this on social media all the time, and maybe you've got an example that 
you can point me to that I've just missed. I've never yet seen anyone have their mind changed in a social media argument. But I've seen relationships destroyed through social media arguments. I've seen churches actually have their reputation tarnished through social media argument. But I've never seen anybody go, oh, that's something I'd never thought of before. Thank you for enlightening me. I'm now going to join your side. Now, maybe it's happened. I just haven't seen it. You see, what happens is we look for the, we look for the response not to listen to learn, but to listen to respond. And James wants to say, I want you just to slow down and be really quick to listen. Because when you listen, you actually start to understand a different perspective. But one of the things that we do in the pre-marriage education that we offer as a church, one of the exercises that this course has is called, um, is, is a listening exercise. Where you have the couple speak something to each other and then you have the other person respond, not with the same words, but what they think that person is saying. It's a really interesting, it's called active listening. It's actually the, the capacity to listen and then interpret and actually show that you've understood what that person is saying. James says slow down because listening helps us do something really important. It gives us a different perspective. It helps us start to understand what's going on for the other person. And it leads to my second thing. James wants to say slow down so that you can learn empathy. Slow down and learn empathy. You see, listening allows time for something else to grow, and it's not just a different perspective, but an empathetic perspective. I think our culture has lost the capacity to empathise, partly because we've lost the capacity to slow our communication down. Let me just give you a really base-level lesson in communication today. We're going back to university here for a moment, you know, communication course and... Uh, some of you are going to go, I can't believe we're talking about this. But let me just help you understand the nature of communication. See, many of us think communication is all about transmission and reception. In other words, I said it, it's up to you how you hear it. But empathy actually adds a step. Empathy says, before I say it, I'm going to step into your world and get a sense of all the things that you're going to filter what I have to say through. I'm actually going to understand the trigger points, I'm going to understand the points of pain, I'm going to understand the background and the history, and maybe the reasons that you react the way that you react. And then in understanding all of that, I'm going to step back here and before I speak it, I'm actually going to choose to communicate in a way that helps you hear my heart. It doesn't just speak something that you then have to go and process. You see, communication is way more than just transmission and reception because everybody has filters. If I were to say to you today, I didn't say that you're a failure, what am I saying? You know, oh, I didn't say that you're a failure. Think about this. This could have 15 different meanings. You see, I didn't say that you're a failure. The rest of the church said you're a failure but I didn't say you're a failure. I didn't say that you're a failure. I didn't. Just, it's not true. It was never spoken. I didn't, say, I didn't say you're a failure. I emailed everybody and said that, but I didn't say it. I didn't say that, I didn't say that you were a failure. Your team was, but you weren't. I didn't say that you were a failure. You are a failure. <laughs> <clears throat> 
I didn't say that you were a failure. I said that you struggled, but failure and struggle are really different words, aren't they? You see, we can say one thing, but the way it's received can be heard in five different ways. Not only that, we live in a world where people find it harder and harder to talk. And some of you young guys, you would rather text, email, send a photo than ever pick up a phone and have a conversation with someone. But, but so much of what communication is is taken from nonverbal cues. Actually, the greater majority, because I could say to you in person, I didn't say you're a failure. And in the tone of my voice and the lean-in of my body, you understand what I'm trying to communicate. But when you stick that in a text message or on a Facebook post, I didn't say you're a failure. You leave the interpretation up to the listener. I mean, we've just changed it by adding emojis, haven't we? I didn't say you're a failure. Oh, because I love you. In other words, don't take it the wrong way. We're good. We're warm. I didn't say you're a failure. Oh, laughing emoji. I can't believe that you took it that way. I didn't say that you're a failure. I said you're a massive failure. <laughs> I didn't say that you're a failure. I'm really sad that you would believe that of me. I didn't say that you're a failure. You know one of those ones? <laughs> what does that mean? Please repeat the text with a more appropriate emoji. You see, we've learned that emotion actually helps us understand the power of our words. Back to my point. Empathy comes from walking in someone else's shoes. And I reckon James, this is a really practical message because James's advice is really practical. James wants to say, slow down long enough to hear the story and understand the context. And then when you speak, your words will have greater power. Some of you young people here, empathy is one of those things that's sometimes really hard to process. You know that kid in the schoolyard that's giving you a really hard time or is always the one that's just verbally nitpicking on you? Their behaviour isn't appropriate, but sometimes empathy allows us to understand that what's going on at home for that kid is really messed up. They don't come from a home environment like the one you come from. And even though it's really hard to put up with the things that they say to you, there's a reason they react because they look at you and they see that you've got a lot going for you and they just don't know how to respond to that because there's a craving in their spirit that their life looked the same as your life. And the only way that they can respond to that is to tell you you're an idiot all the time. You see, empathy allows us to actually step into someone else's shoes and get a sense of why they react or respond the way they do. You know, the, the person that responds every time you just make a joke or have a little bit of banter, I've got to watch this one. I banter with my good friends significantly. But then sometimes you just say the wrong thing to the wrong person and your heart comes from a place of just trying to include them and have a little bit of fun. But you know what? They've had so many words spoken over their life that devalued them and demeaned them that they don't even have a filter that says that those words could be actually harmless and helpful. You know, that, that parent that constantly criticises the way you parent and you just realise that they've grown up in an environment of fear. You see, the list could go on and on and on, but empathy comes from walking in someone else's shoes and it doesn't excuse the behaviour, but sometimes it gives us a softer heart in the way we respond. So James wants to say, slow down for a minute. Just listen, build a gap. Hear the story. Be quick to listen and be slow to speak. 
quick to listen and slow to speak. Number three, slow down. See the value in the other person. Allow the other person to be humanized. See the other person. James 3 verse 9, with the tongue we praise our Lord and Father and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. When you speak words over someone, you're actually speaking words over someone that is beloved and valued and cherished by God himself. I I know that myself and my kids and my family has the value, has the capacity to say things that can be hurting, but man, you say something about my kid. Just there's something, there's a there's a righteous anger that just builds, isn't it? How do you think God feels when we use our words to devalue people that he values more than we could ever imagine? Just slow down. It allows us to humanize, to see the other person. Number four, slow down and recognize the power of your words or the influence of your words. I don't love this verse. Wish it wasn't in there. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. Now, James writes that in a culture that that had an oral tradition. They didn't have printed copies of the scriptures that everybody had on their phone or, you know, like 15 copies on the bookshelf at home. the, The role of the teacher was significant. It was an oral society where the teacher had the responsibility of directing those that they taught. So if it came from the mouth of the teacher, those that received it took it as gospel because there was nothing else that they could do with it. And so James wants to say, if you were someone charged with the responsibility of telling people how to live this Christian life and telling people what God is like and what Jesus requires of you, they're going to take your word as gospel. So be careful what you say. You see, it's really hard to be careful if we're not thoughtful. And so we need to slow things down sometimes because we've got to recognize the influence of our words. Now, all the rest of you go, oh, that's great. That does not speak to me. Well, let me speak to the rest of you. Because in 2017, Mark McCrindle, who's a Christian researcher, but actually did some research on the attitudes of Australians towards the church and towards Christians. And one of the things he found was one of the greatest turnoffs of people to the Christian faith is when they observe people that claim to be believers and then they observe their words and actions and they don't line up. We call it hypocrisy. But I don't reckon this is just a word that should confront those of us that actually speak in forums like this. I think every one of us that declares that Jesus is Lord should actually recognize that our words carry influence. Ask most people what they think in Australian culture, what they think God cares about and the Bible says. Well, it says some stuff about money that we don't like. It says that God hates sex and it says that you shouldn't swear. Isn't that all it says? There's probably a few other things that you could add in there, but we've got to understand we live in a culture with an incredibly low biblical literacy. Therefore, those of us that are people of faith, our words, our actions matter. Because people are going to look at you to be a reflection of what God is like when you claim that God is your Lord. Jesus is your Lord. Our culture is going to look to us for guidance and instructions. So slow down. Recognize your influence. I just want to say one thing as a side note. Please be careful as Christians what you choose to post publicly and represent a social commentary on social media because people won't just see that. People will see you representing 
All of us have those moments, don't we? Where like the, the Christian in the media, we just go, they don't represent me. The media is always looking for the extreme examples. That's just what they want to do. But just, we've got to be people of incredible wisdom in what we say that people are going to link to our faith. So slow down. Recognize the influence that you have. And finally, slow down. Because when we slow down, we ask ourselves a really important question. What kind of person do I want to be? James says this, be quick to listen, be slow to speak, and be slow to become angry because the righteousness that God desires, ah, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. There are a bunch of people that just thought the righteous response was the quick-witted, tear-down response. James says, no, 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 no. God's not looking for your holy righteousness in the way you just slaughter people with your words. That's not the kind of righteousness God wants. God wants you to actually think about who you are and how you represent him. So slow down and think about the kind of person you want to be known and perceived to be. It's incredibly practical because here's what I want you to take away from this. Some of us in our workplaces as managers or as leaders of staff or maybe as people leading up need to slow down a little bit. Like take a day, take two hours, take 24 hours before you shoot off that email in anger as a response to something you didn't like. Just just take a moment to understand it, to think about it, to craft your response, to empathise, to listen, to ask the question, what do I need here? Some of us have just got to learn to slow down because it's, it's our reaction, it's the fact that we never build a gap that's actually tearing apart relationships in our workplace and making some of the people that work with you and work for you think, well, if that's what God is like, I don't want anything to do with him. So slow down. Some of you need to slow down in your marriages. Some of you need to slow down in the way you react and respond to your kids. Some of you need to slow down when someone writes something on social media that you don't agree with. Some of you need to slow down before you reply to that text message. I've taken that one very literally in life. I slow down so much that I often forget. But just slow down. James says, I want you just simply as people of faith to do something simple for me. This is, not, this is not kind of rocket science, is it? Be quick to listen and be slow to speak. Because when you're slow to speak, I think what follows that is you're actually slow down your anger. And the one thing that's going to transform some of our relationships is this incredibly simple biblical truth that we just got slow down slow down you know our words have incredible power are we going to use our words to speak life and speak hope speak value speak rebuke appropriately speak encouragement speak challenge speak in a way that's reflective of the heart of God and the heart of his people just slow it down. I love the, the way this verse actually is very similar to a verse that we find in the Psalms, Psalm 145. You know, James says to the people of God, quickly listen, slowly speak, and slowly become angry. The psalmist says this about God. God is gracious and compassionate. He's slow to anger and he's rich in love. Let that be the marker 
Wouldn't that be a great testimony when people encounter us? God's people are gracious and compassionate. They're slow to anger, but they're rich in love. For some of us, the very thing that's going to stop us having that testimony given about us is this. It's time just to slow down. Let me pray for us this morning. Lord, we recognize the power of our words, the capacity to build people up, the capacity to stir and spur people on, the capacity to bring encouragement, to bring hope, or the capacity to bring rebuke and challenge, Lord, to steer people away from paths that are detrimental to them. We recognize the power of our words. Lord, it's our great desire that our words reflect you. That when we speak, people see the heart of God through our words. Lord, I pray for those of us this morning, this is a real challenge. We've become reactive. God, help us just to slow things down a little bit. Lord, for those of us that right now are walking through a really tough season with someone, Lord, I want to pray that you, we would develop just a, a, a muscle of empathy to be able to understand, to be able to listen, to be able to step into someone else's world for a moment. And maybe, Lord, not to condone their behavior, maybe just to shape our communication. God, may, as the psalmist reflects on you, may we be able to say, uh, may people be able to say about us that we're gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and rich in love. Can we stand together this morning, church? I just want to finish just as we sing together. This song just talks about who God says that we are. You see, God's word over us, God's encouragement to us, the, the fact that he calls us beloved and the fact that he calls us forgiven, the fact that he calls us his kids, the fact that he calls us, you know, chosen, valued. It's, it's God's word spoken over you that actually can change the course and trajectory of your life and the understanding of yourself. As we sing this, I just want you to do a little heart self-examination. Say, God, are my words like your word over me, helping me to speak life and value over others? And as we do that, just let the words of this song wash over you. Just, just be reminded of the words that God speaks over you. You're chosen, loved, valued, and accepted. Let's be people that help others discover that in their relationship with God.